Day 47 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Well, today we are covering some of the probably least appetizing subjects in the Bible. So I would say maybe don't be eating while we are studying today. Uh, but before we get started, if you could please help us out by just hitting that like button. That is your way of partnering with us and just giving back to the ministry if you want to do so to be able to support it. Also subscribing and having that notification bell on also helps out and it helps you as well to let you know when these videos come out. And a little bonus today, you are actually going to get a Sabbath day video before the Sabbath day. That'll be releasing tonight at midnight Pacific Standard Time because God is good and He let me get ahead. Otherwise, if you are new here to this Bible study, we welcome you. We have got a whole year's worth of Bible study lessons from last year, but we also have been covering every single day this year so far. So if you want to go back to the beginning, don't feel like you have to be right on time with us because wherever you are in the Bible, that is exactly where God wants you. Also, let us know where you are in the world, where you're watching from. If you have any questions at all, make sure you check out our description box or the show notes, or you can head on over to our website, heartdive.org. So let's go ahead and pray and jump into this exciting word. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this word. Lord, some of us are already cringing as we go into the book of Leviticus or as we're right in the middle of it, but we know that you've got a word for us, a very specific one. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open up our eyes to see things in new ways. And I pray that our ears will be open to hear your voice. Lord, we know that you speak in a still small voice or in a whisper. And so I just pray, God, that your voice will rise above all other voices in our minds, all the distractions that are there, I pray that you will clear them out right now so that your voice is the only one that is heard. I pray that you will help us to stay focused on the task at hand today, on your word, because there is a specific purpose behind it, and I'm believing for that today. Help me to get out of the way, Lord, and allow you to do your work. And we just thank you for this family, for these brothers and sisters who have gathered here today to study together. We're so grateful that we don't have to do this life alone. We love you so much and are grateful in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we even get into it, I did print out a list of clean versus unclean. This was the cutest graphic that I could find from Google. And so if you just Google clean versus unclean foods in the Bible, this is one of the images that pops up. So you can check that out or find one that is preferable to you. But that was the one I used last year and I loved it. So I'm going to put it in this Bible as well. So starting off here in chapter 11, and the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. So now because Aaron is responsible for teaching, God is is now speaking to both Moses and Aaron together, saying to them, speak to the people of Israel, saying, these are the living things that you may eat among the animals that are on the earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven footed and chews the cud among the animals, you may eat. Okay, so animals that chew the cud are known as ruminants. Among the animals, you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof is unclean to you. And the rock badger, or also known as the rock hyrax, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, and of course we know the pig or the swine is the most detestable by both Jews and the Muslims, and 
it is because for both practical reasons of the fact that if you don't cook it properly, it will spread disease. We've seen that throughout society, but also the fact that it was sacrificed by pagans to pagan gods, but it also tastes real good. I mean, those of us who actually eat bacon and pork and we love it, you know that this is one of the ultimate tests. When you smell that bacon cooking, when you're fasting, that's one of the hardest things to be able to say no to. But the spiritual reason, God says here, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. And by the way, we are reading from the ESV by Crossway translation today. So the cleanliness of these animals, it was determined by both how they walked and what they ate. So it had to be animals that both chewed the cud and have a divided hoof that would be considered clean. So as Christians, these should also be distinguishing factors within us as well. There are so many people who are walking around in this world who are kind and merciful and gracious and even righteous, but they don't chew the cud, meaning they aren't in the word or maybe they don't even believe in it. Then there are those who do believe in what the word says, yet they continue to walk without the dividing line between themselves and the world. And if you know anything about chewing the cud, Animals like cows cannot properly digest food whenever they initially swallow it. So what happens is, is it will come up in small lumps through the esophagus, and then they're able to chew that partly digested food over and over again before they finally swallow it. So when considering our spiritual diet, we aren't just to simply read the word and consider it digested. We have to take it in, chew on it slowly, allow it to sit for a little bit, chew on it again until it is able to properly properly nourish us. That's what we're doing right here in this Bible study. So heart check. Are you chewing the cud? Are you meditating on the word and really chewing on it? And so just a reminder here, what would make them unclean is if they ate it, but also if they touched the carcass or the dead body of one of these animals. Verse nine, these you may eat. All of that that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales. So it must have fins and it must have scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers you may eat. But anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters is detestable to you. So aka no shellfish, no no shrimp, no lobster, no eel, no shark, nothing like that. You shall regard them as detestable. So this word here in some translations actually says, abomination. So that means that it is stronger than unclean and it must be even actively avoided. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. And so fins and scales are necessary to move through the water. So if you want to think of that spiritually, we do need fins and scales to be able to navigate through the water of the word. And these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. The eagle, the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the falcon of any kind, every raven of any kind, which by the way, ravens in the Bible typically uh, speak of evil, the ostrich, the nighthawk, the seagull, the hawk of any kind, the little owl, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the tawny owl, the carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, the hoopoe, and the bat. So the hoopoe was a migratory bird that actually spent its winters in Africa before coming back to Israel. Verse 20, all 
winged insects that go on all fours are detestable to you. Yet among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Now, practically speaking, why would there be a difference between the ones that hop like grasshoppers and the other four-legged insects? It's because typically winged insects on all fours are looking at things like flies, roaches. So these were animals that were associated with death and impurity and disorder because they would live in filth and they eat poo. But grasshoppers don't do that. Of them you may eat the locusts of any kind, the bald locusts of any kind, the cricket of any kind, and the grasshopper of any kind. But all other winged insects that have four feet are detestable to you. Now, of course, some of us who live in societies where we don't eat bugs, this is just already making us feel ill from the inside out. But this is something that a lot of people have as part of their diets and snacks. And by these you shall become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. So what's the difference between carrying and touching? Well, you could accidentally brush up against a carcass of an animal, but carrying it would be considered a greater weight, which is why they would have to now wash and not just simply be considered unclean. So it required a more thorough cleansing. Every animal that parts the hoof, but is not cloven-footed or does not chew the cud is unclean to you. Everyone who touches them shall be unclean, and all that walk on their paws among the animals that go on all fours are unclean to you. So that includes any of the furry, beautiful animals that we all have in our homes, any of those kinds of pets, lions, tigers, bears, all of those considered unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening, and he who carries their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. They are unclean to you. And these are unclean to you among the swarming things that swarm on the ground. The mole rat, the mouse, the great lizard of any kind, I'm okay with that one. The gecko, that one too. The monitor lizard, the lizard, the sand lizard, and the chameleon. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Just a funny note though, I swear geckos haunt me. Like they know that I don't like them and they will come out screaming at me. They will come out with their buggy little eyes out of the parts of my car because if you know anything about Hawaii, everyone has geckos either in their house or in their car. And I swear it's the ones who do not like them or detest them. They're the ones that end up falling from the ceiling onto our heads. But I digress. These are unclean to you among all that swarm. Whoever touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until the evening. Now, by the way, anytime it says until the evening, this would be the beginning of a new day. Because if you know anything about the Jewish calendar, the new day actually begins at sundown. And anything on which any of them falls when they are dead shall be unclean, whether it is an article of wood or a garment or a skin or a stack, any article that is used for any purpose, it must be put into water and it shall be unclean until the evening and then it shall be clean. And if any of them falls into any earthenware vessel, all that is in it shall be unclean and you shall break it. Any food in it that could be eaten on which water comes shall be unclean. And all drink that could be drunk from every ve such vessel shall be unclean. And everything on which any part of their carcass falls shall be unclean. Whether oven or stove, it shall be broken in pieces. They are unclean and shall remain unclean for you. Nevertheless, a spring or a cistern holding water shall be unclean, but whoever touches a carcass in them shall be unclean. So a carcass would have been an animal that has died by natural causes and not hunted. Hunted animals would have been okay to touch because they would have been properly drained of the blood. And if any part of their carcass falls upon any seed grain that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water is put on the seed, 
which that would actually soften the hull of a seed and any part of their carcass falls on it, it is unclean to you. So if it's dry seed, that shell is able to actually protect the seed on the inside. So it would be okay. But if it's been softened, it would have been defiled because of the fact that this carcass can now infect the seed. And if any animal which you may eat dies, whoever touches its carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever eats of its carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries the carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. Every swarming thing that swarms on the ground is detestable. It shall not be eaten. Whatever goes on its belly and whatever goes on all fours or whatever has many feet, any swarming thing that swarms on the ground, you shall not eat for they are detestable. You shall not make yourselves detestable with any swarming thing that swarms and you shall not defile yourselves with them and become unclean through them. For I am the Lord your God. So here he is saying, I am Yahweh or Jehovah your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy for I am holy. This is the biggest part of this chapter that we need to pay attention to because this is God simply calling them to a life of holiness. That's the whole purpose of these laws. You shall not defile yourselves with any swarming thing that crawls on the ground. For I am the Lord who brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So he is the one who delivered them. You shall therefore be holy for I am holy. And so when he is saying consecrate yourselves, he's saying be separate. And when we talk about being separate, this isn't necessarily always meaning to separate yourselves from people and separating yourselves from situations. It is living in the world, but not of it. So we think of this more as separating yourself to God. You're living your life for Him, showing honor to Him. And so that would mean we are taking on His character of grace and mercy and kindness and peace, righteousness, integrity. So you can still live among people, but have that character and you will still be considered set apart. Now, there are some people who are not strong enough to be able to live among people and maintain that integrity or that holiness. So there may be cases where you do need to separate yourself from people or situations that might drag you down. But I love this, that God is reaffirming his identity and his commitment to Israel after giving them all of these laws. Verse 46, this is the law about beast and bird and every living creature that moves through the waters and every creature that swarms on the ground to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean and between the living creature that may be eaten and the living creature that may not be eaten. So it's not just the job of the priests to be able to make this distinction. It is a calling for the people as well. So in the end, these laws or restrictions seem to be so meticulous. And while they can serve a practical purpose for good health or hygiene, their main purpose is to distinguish the Israelites from the rest of the surrounding nations. They are to look different, act different. And they would also remind the people to maintain their holiness before a holy God. You see, we too are called to live differently, to have those distinct markers of holiness. We live in the world, but we are not of it. So heart check, is your life marked as set apart or different from the world? Chapter 12, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. 
as at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And we'll learn about that a little bit later. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. So we got to stop here for a moment because I know some people are like, wait a minute, what? Childbirth is going to make you unclean? Well, we've got to recognize God's heart behind this. The child does not make them unclean. God has already blessed childbearing, but this has more to do with the bloods and the fluids that will accompany this childbearing. And so it is not a moral judgment. This is ritual purity that we're speaking of. So this is more so for them not to be able to go into the place of worship for that time. But we're also looking at it through God's eyes and His grace grace in giving these mothers sort of like a maternity leave. I mean, this was like a spiritual maternity leave. They would be able to stay home with their child. They won't have all of these other obligations that they typically have so that they can just focus on their baby. And remember why we circumcise on the eighth day? It is because that is when the vitamin K levels are high enough for the blood clotting to take place. And also they say that after the eight days is when the pain sensitivity is higher. So this is kind of that perfect moment to be able to do it. And remember circumcision is an outward symbol of their covenant. And it is also a reminder of God's promise to Abraham to have many descendants. That's why this is something that takes place on the male reproductive organ. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed." But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. So again, what? So a female child's going to make her more unclean? That's not the way we're going to look at it today, though. There isn't a reason that is given in the Bible. But remember, whenever a child is born, they are born with sin nature. So essentially, whenever a woman gives birth to a child, she is giving birth to a sinner. Now, we're not looking at this as a horrible thing and like God is looking at it like, oh, no, another sinner's coming into the world. But we have to recognize it for what it is. The fall of man created all kinds of warped things in this world, and this is one of them. So this is one of the reasons that sin has to be dealt with. And because of the fact that she cannot circumcise a female baby, this is possibly giving her more time to deal with the sin. Or another school of thought is that there is more bonding time that is needed for females because of the fact that male babies were considered the more prized children. They were highly valued. And so there wouldn't be that much time that was needed to be able to bond with this baby. But for females, because they weren't as valued, there would be a little bit of extra time that was needed. I'm sure not for the mother, but maybe for the family. Now, these are not my interpretations. These were things that I read in some of the commentaries, and I am just offering them for discussion. So please don't come at me and get all upset about this, because this was me asking why and trying to seek an answer. And we should be doing that whenever we read the Bible. Why is this happening? Because we want to know God's heart. Verse 6, And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. So this woman is having to bring the burnt offering, again, not because childbearing made her a sinner, but because she was away from the temple for all of that time and was unable to bring the sacrifice that she would typically bring. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves 
or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So if you can't wrap your head around any of that, at least take this in. God was desiring to give women after childbearing a period to be able to protect them, but also to be able to preserve them. This was an act of compassion from a loving God. Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron, the priest, or to one of his sons, the priests. Okay, we're going to stop right there for a moment. So we are speaking about leprosy. Now, back in this day, leprosy could have been anything that included Hansen's disease, which is what we typically view as leprosy, but it could have included really any skin disease, things like eczema, psoriasis, measles, mumps, anything that brought broke out on the skin, any sort of rash, any sort of sore or cut, or even things in the hair, they would have to be taken to the priest to be examined on whether or not these things were leprosy. And I was saying, I would have been being taken to the priest all the time because at any given time, I always have a case of eczema somewhere on my body. And so the priests were kind of like the public health officers of that day. They were doing these inspections and they would determine, they had uh, standards by which they would determine whether or not this was leprosy. And we'll read about that. Verse three, and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. But if the spot is white in the skin of his body and appears no deeper than the skin and the hair in it has not turned white, the priest shall shut up the diseased person for seven days. So here we're seeing a case of quarantine and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. And if in his eyes, the disease is checked and the disease has not spread in the skin. Then the priest shall shut him up for another seven days and the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And if the diseased area has faded and the disease has not spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It is only an eruption and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. So here we see a case of personal hygiene. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest and the priest shall look. And if the eruption has spread in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. So when we look at leprosy or Hansen's disease for what it was, and the reason why we liken leprosy to sin, this is why. Leprosy or Hansen's disease typically starts out small with some red spots. It starts out underneath the skin and then it eventually gets bigger. It'll turn white and then have a, like a scaly or a shiny appearance. It will eventually spread over the entire body. The hair eventually falls out. So do the fingernails and toenails. The joints in the fingers begin to loosen and the toes and they decay to the point of falling off. Teeth will begin to fall out. Eventually, the nose falls off, the eyes begin to rot away, and the person essentially wastes away until they die. This was known as a living death. And living in Hawaii, we grew up learning about leprosy because of the leper colony on one of our islands, and it was due to Hansen's disease, the spread of that before there was ever any sort of treatment for it. So likening that to sin, well, sin also starts out as nothing, starts out under the surface. And initially, it's pretty painless. It's 
seems like maybe even pleasurable for a moment, but it slowly grows. It can go away for a little while, but eventually returns. And then it begins to numb the senses. You become desensitized to the sin itself, which is when it will start to break down. It will begin to decay and deform not only your spiritual nature, but can even deform your physical nature as well. It will make people repulsive to others. It will isolate you, shut you out, separate you even from fellowship with God. And it is incurable by the law and by the priests. And that is why we needed Jesus to come and save us from our sin. Verse nine, when a man is afflicted with a leprous disease, he shall be brought to the priest and the priest shall look. And if there is a white swelling in the skin that has turned the hair white and there is raw flesh in the swelling. It is a chronic leprous disease in the skin of his body, and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. He shall not shut him up, for he is unclean. And if the leprous disease breaks out in the skin, so that the leprous disease covers all the skin of the diseased person from head to foot, so far as the priest can see, then the priest shall look, and if the leprous disease has covered all his body, he shall pronounce him clean of the disease. It has all turned white, and he is clean. So, all turned white means that his skin is actually healed. There is a new skin that has come about. But when raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him unclean. Raw flesh is unclean. So raw flesh can be likened to habitual sin. And it is a leprous disease, but if the raw flesh recovers and turns white again, then he shall come to the priest, and the priest shall examine him, and if the disease has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce the diseased person clean. He is clean. So this is like the forgiveness of our high priest. If there is in the skin of one's body a boil and it heals, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a reddish white spot, then it shall be shown to the priest, and the priest shall look, and if it appears deeper than the skin and its hair has turned white, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease that is broken out in the boil. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in it, and it is not deeper than the skin, but is faded, then the priest shall shut him up seven days." And if it spreads in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread, it is the scar of the boil and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or when the body has a burn on the skin and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a spot, reddish white or white, the priest shall examine it. And if the hair in the spot has turned white and it appears deeper than the skin, then it is a leprous disease. It is broken out in the burn and the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the priest examines it and there is no white hair in the spot and it is no deeper than the skin, but is faded, the priest shall shut him up seven days and the priest shall examine him the seventh day. If it is spreading in the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a case of leprous disease. But if the spot remains in one place and does not spread in the skin, but is faded, it is a swelling from the burn and the priest shall pronounce him clean for it is the scar of the burn. Why do we keep repeating the same things over and over? Well, this is a very careful examination that needed to be taken place because you don't ever want to pronounce someone having leprosy when they actually don't have it because then you are putting them in danger by isolating them to the leper colony, to the people who are living with leprosy outside of the camp of the people, outside of the fellowship. So you are condemning them to a place where they don't belong. Verse 29, when a man or a woman has a disease on the head or the beard, the priest shall examine the disease. And if it appears deeper than the skin and the hair in it is yellow, 
and thin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is an itch, a leprous disease of the head or the beard. And to me, I'm like, that's psoriasis. That's not leprosy, but okay. And if the priest examines the itching disease and it appears no deeper than the skin and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the disease. If the itch has not spread and there is no yellow hair and the itch appears to be no deeper than the skin, then he shall shave himself, but the itch he shall not shave. And the priest shall shut up the person with the itching disease for another seven days. And on the seventh day, the priest shall examine the itch. And if the itch has not spread in the skin, and it appears to be no deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean, and he shall wash his clothes and be clean. But if the itch spreads in the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And if the itch has spread in the skin, the priest need not seek for the yellow hair, he is unclean. But if in his eyes the itch is unchanged and black hair has grown in it, the itch is healed and he is clean and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Now, when a man or a woman has spots on the skin of the body, white spots, the priest shall look. And if the spots on the skin of the body are a dull white, it is leucoderma that is broken out in the skin and he is clean. If a man's hair falls out from his head, he is bald, he is clean. And all the bald men are like, amen to that. And if a man's hair falls out from his forehead, he has baldness of the forehead, he is clean. But if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white disease area, it is a leprous disease breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine him, and if the disease swelling is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, like the appearance of leprous disease in the skin of the body, he is a leprous man and he is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean, his disease is on his head. And the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. So this would have been signs of mourning. They need to make it known that they are a leper. And he shall cover his upper lip, meaning a mustache, and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, while I can understand the heart of God behind these declarations and separations, we know that lepers, while at no fault of their own, were seen as detestable, and declaring themselves unclean would send people to the other side of the street, and they would have to live as outcasts. And we can sometimes experience this in churches. You know, this is what has become known as church hurt, where people will look at our skin or our infection or our sin, and they will treat us as if we don't deserve a chance for restoration. And if you have experienced that, my heart cries out for you. And my prayer is that you will be healed and protected from thinking that all fellowship will look that way. But on the flip side, we can all take part in this restoration process of the image of the church because it has been tainted by failure in leadership, by media attacks, by a clear assault of the enemy. So heart check. What are you doing to help build or maintain the purity of the church? Are you building it up or continuing to help the enemy tear it down? Verse 47, and when there is a case of leprous disease in a garment, so we're actually talking about mold, mildew, or fungus, whether a woolen or a linen garment, in a warp or wolf of linen or wool, or in a skin or in anything made of skin, if the disease is greenish or reddish in the garment, or in the skin or in the warp or the wolf, or in any article made of skin, 
It is a case of leprous disease, and it shall be shown to the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease and shut up that which has the disease for seven days. Then he shall examine the disease on the seventh day. If the disease has spread in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or in the skin, whatever be the use of the skin, the disease is a persistent leprous disease, it is unclean. And he shall burn the garment or the warp or the woof, the wool or the linen, or any article made of skin that is diseased, for it is a persistent leprous disease, it shall be burned in the fire." And if the priest examines, and if the disease has not spread in the garment, in the warp or the wolf, or in any article made of the skin, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the disease, and he shall shut it up for another seven days. And the priest shall examine the diseased thing after it has been washed, and if the appearance of the diseased area has not changed, though the disease has not spread, it is unclean. You shall burn it in the fire, whether the rot is on the back or on the front." But if the priest examines and if the diseased area has faded after it has been washed, he shall tear it out of the garment or the skin or the warp or the woof. Then if it appears again in the garment, in the warp or the woof, or in any article made of skin, it is spreading. You shall burn with fire whatever has the disease, but the garment or the warp or the woof or any article made of skin from which the disease departs when you have washed it shall then be washed a second time and be clean. So garments were expensive in this time. They were hard to make. It took a lot of time. It wasn't easy to come by. You couldn't just go to Walmart and buy yourself another blanket. And so this is the reason why it would be treated this way. They wouldn't just simply discard it. This is the law for a case of leprous disease in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or the wolf, or in any article made of skin, to determine whether it is clean or unclean. So in the end, the Lord takes a good chunk of the Bible to speak about the importance of purity and cleanliness. And to one who is young in the faith, these chapters make zero sense. I mean, it is questionable as to why God would feel the need to write about this stuff. But once you begin to understand the context and the implications, it makes sense. You know, we don't need to follow these legalistic regulations anymore, but the basics of health and cleanliness are beneficial for us, not only physically, but spiritually as well. You see, we may not deal with leprosy or mildew the way that we once did, but there's all kinds of things that are infiltrating our societies that are going to one day deal a death blow if we are not carefully keeping watch and re-examining so that our families don't get infected. And if there is something lying beneath the surface, it needs to be dealt with. We need to keep the mildew out of our homes because I don't know if you've noticed, but some of the things that are, quote, acceptable now in society, they are floating around TikTok like nothing. And it is just bewildering. And it's happening at such a high rate. And it is growing so rapidly that we are getting bulldozed and being forced into being desensitized. All the more we need to be on our guard, keeping ourselves pure, praying for our society, praying for our children, because the Bible doesn't say that it's going to get better on this side of heaven. We know that it's actually going to get worse. But the more that our eyes are open to the truth, we are then able to armor up and protect ourselves from it. And despite the world getting worse, we can still live such a beautiful and glorious life whenever we keep our eyes on our restorer. So let's take a look at some of our deep dive questions. Are dietary restrictions still beneficial in the spiritual life? Are you mindful of the food you consume? In what ways are we called to be clean or unclean as Christians? Why was the ritual for a female child doubled? How does this reflect the viewpoints of gender in this time? 
With what was being done in the name of public health, do you believe this promoted cohesion or division in communities? Do you see a correlation today? And how significant is purity or cleanliness in your spiritual walk? So Heavenly Father, you are holy and deserving of pure obedience and worship. Forgive us, Lord, for tainting that. While we all sin simply because we are born sinners, you have given us the chance to be made clean. So we thank you for that. And I pray that we will continually and diligently work to keep our lives pure and holy, set apart for your purposes. We know that things like diet and hygiene are not to be our focus, but instead an inward purity and cleanliness. Help us to see your purpose behind the meticulous laws and the function that they serve, not just practically, but spiritually as well. We know that everything you command is for our good and protection. And so I pray that you will continue to show us what we can do in our own personal journeys with you to maintain that. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that we will take the time to chew on it and digest it a little, chew on it again and allow it to nourish our souls. I pray that we will not binge for the sake of being able to take it all in like a buffet in one sitting, but may we treat it like a fine dining meal, savoring every flavor that you put on our plate. I pray that we walk with a divided hoof, living in this world, but not of it. We will not hold ourselves higher than others in pride, but we will keep our standards high and holy unto you. May our feet follow after the path that you are lighting. And in doing so, I pray that it will mark us distinct. And as the world continues to blur the lines between moral and immoral, clean and unclean, will you give us a greater discernment to be able to distinguish between the two? We want to be holy because you are holy. We want to follow after you always, knowing what you have pulled us from. We don't want to go back, but always forward toward your glory. And while the lives we live may seem insignificant in such a vast expanse, we know that we are part of a larger tapestry that you have so beautifully designed. So I pray that we will take our place in that with confidence and never shrink back. Thank you so much for caring for our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual health. And so I pray that we seek every opportunity to be good stewards of our bodies. But more importantly, I pray that we will always look for ways to rejuvenate and renew our minds and spirits. And Lord, if anyone is dealing with a sin that is lurking underneath the surface and about to erupt, I pray that you will give them strength to overcome. Where sin has spread out of control, Lord, help those to grab hold of your hand so that they can be pulled from the place that wants to take them under. And will you render a healing touch so they can begin to be restored. But above all, we thank you for helping us to see the divine wisdom behind all that you do. What a profound message of grace and compassion we see today, knowing that you love us from before we were even born all the way until our last breath. We love you so much. We thank you for this word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death and every single one of us have fallen short. And then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because he loves us and he wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing. And there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. 
but I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer and I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.